Before we start the show, a reminder to follow all of our political reporting on the NPR One app. That's N-P-R-O-N-E. You can find all your favorite podcasts, including Car Talk. That's right, Car Talk, not just on your radio, also available as a podcast with advice, tips, troubleshooting, and occasionally answers to car questions. Get Car Talk now on the NPR One app or at npr.org slash podcasts. Okay, here's the show. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast, back with another week of daily episodes right up until Election Day. Over the weekend, of course, the talk was all about emails. This could be the mother load. This is the single biggest scandal since Watergate. We never thought we were going to say thank you to Anthony Weiner. Donald Trump in Colorado, New Mexico, and Nevada. Clinton on Friday night called for the FBI to release more information about newly discovered emails that may or may not be relevant to the investigation of her personal email server. We don't know what to believe, and I'm sure there will be even more rumors. That's why it is incumbent upon the FBI to tell us what they're talking about. So let's talk about the latest in the story and a few others just eight days away from the election. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben, political reporter. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And I'm Carrie Johnson, justice correspondent. All right. uh, Before we get into that, let's talk about the most important thing, which is happy Halloween, everybody. Oh, thank you. You too. Very nice sweater, Scott. Very nice tie, Domenico. Very Ken Bone of you. (laughs) Ooh. Us I'm, both wearing orange will not help us being mixed up. Danielle wore a wizard hat. I'm the only one. Where that wore... is your wizard hat? You said you were going to bring it in. It's right here. It felt inappropriate to wear while we're talking about emails, but now I have it on, and it just looks really great, doesn't it? And Carrie right. has come dressed as a reporter who's been working <laughs> on a crazy breaking news story right. for 72 straight hours. I'm <laughs> resembling a human being. <laughs> You're pulling it off. All right, so. Carrie, let's start with that. Uh, We covered a lot of this email story late on Friday. Newly discovered emails by the FBI. They were found over the course of their investigation into former Congressman Anthony Weiner. Now, this is really important. They may be relevant. They may not be relevant at all to the investigation of Hillary Clinton's personal email server use during her time as Secretary of State. So, Carrie, since we last talked about this Friday, what new facts have we learned? Well, first of all, when James Comey sent this letter to Congress on Friday, we didn't quite realize at that time he didn't know what was in these emails. Mm -hmm. He had not read them, not been briefed on them. In fact, Scott, the FBI did not have court permission to review them. That only happened on Sunday night. And when it became clear across Washington and across the country that uh, the FBI director had sent this letter to Congress, a three-paragraph letter, without having a good sense of how significant this new batch of of messages were, uh, there was bipartisan unrest and outrage. The FBI has been slammed all weekend long, and the FBI director has been taking a beating for uh, sending this letter without really uh, being able to figure out whether it was important or not. I mean, he did say in that letter that he wasn't sure of the significance of the emails, but I mean, I I guess most of us thought he had some idea of the significance. He just wasn't going to share it with us yet. Yeah, normally uh, a federal investigator would not go around talking over much about what the contents of emails in an ongoing investigation are. And that's been part of the problem, Mm -hmm. according to Democrats in the Hillary Clinton campaign, that they believe the FBI director has decided not to prosecute Hillary Clinton or her close aides and yet been condemning their behavior since July, since that decision not to prosecute. And, And I feel like we should underscore this point one more time that at the time the letter was sent, 
no FBI agent had analyzed these emails. Is that the right way to phrase that? Yeah, not the contents of yeah. the emails, at least, Scott. Now, what's happened since then is the FBI on Sunday was able to get court permission. And now, uh, as we speak, they're putting these messages through a software program to try to figure out whether there are any government secrets in any of them. We don't even know at this stage, Scott, whether a lot of them are duplicates of what the FBI has already reviewed earlier mm-hmm. this year. So what is the best rationale for Comey having sent that letter then? To be fair to the FBI director and the FBI as an agency, the FBI director had testified at least twice on Capitol Hill in July and September that the investigation of Hillary Clinton and her close aides was closed. Now this uh, material comes to his desk on Thursday, just 12 days before a presidential election, and he has to decide what to do about it. He didn't want to mislead Congress. He wanted to be transparent with Congress and let them know that some new information had come to light. Secondly, I've been hearing from sources, he was concerned that this would leak out, that somebody from inside the FBI would leak the fact that there was this new batch of emails, and it would look like the FBI was engaging in a cover-up to help Hillary Clinton, and the FBI director definitely didn't want that Mm -hmm. to happen. And given how many leaks have happened since this initial letter, seems like that was a legitimate concern. Absolutely. But, you know, immediately, uh, or almost immediately on Friday, Hillary Clinton came out and said, we want all this information now. Show us everything. We didn't have any idea what this was, and we need to take a look at it. And of course, we also found out, maybe zanily enough, this all stems from the husband of Hillary Clinton's close aide, Huma Abedin. Her estranged husband, Anthony Weiner, former congressman, has been under a separate criminal investigation for allegedly sending illicit messages to a 15-year-old girl in North Carolina. And when they seized his laptop, they found apparently this new batch of emails. So I think we're going to walk through the the political reaction and, and just all the criticism that Comey's getting from Republicans and Democrats more. But first, just because there's so much up in the air here, just because there's so much unknown right now, what are the known unknowns right now, to use a political phrase? What else are we hearing about but we don't actually know the answer to? Because Donald Trump is out there saying, this is the mother load, this is all the evidence, but... But we really don't know that, and we don't know so many other things. I like your Donald Rumsfeld impression with the <laughs> you known know, I'd like to bring it back. Uh, but, but let me say this. We don't know how many of these messages are to or from Hillary Clinton herself. We don't know how many of them may contain government secrets. We don't know how many of them are duplicates to what the FBI has already reviewed. And most importantly... We don't know whether this is going to change the FBI and the DOJ decision back in July that nobody should face any criminal charges. In fact, there's a significant chance that that decision will not change because back in July, Jim Comey, the FBI director, said no reasonable prosecutor would bring a criminal prosecution unless they found withholding of evidence, an effort to betray the country, or a lot of lying to the FBI. Well, isn't it right also that the FBI, that the DOJ and the FBI disagreed on this, right? The officials at the DOJ advised Comey not to release this letter. Well, one of the reasons there's been so much bipartisan criticism since Friday is that the DOJ and and the FBI have uh, guidelines in place designed not to put a thumb on the scale before an election. And normally, uh, that means um, for some period of time before an election, usually this is like a statehouse race, not alone, let alone the uh, presidency of the United States. You're not supposed to take any investigative step that could influence uh, who gets elected to Congress, a statehouse, or the White House. And a lot of people feel like James Comey overstepped by sending this letter. In fact, a couple of sources are telling me that um, the attorney general and the deputy the attorney general sent word to the FBI late last week. They did not want him to do this, but he did it anyway, acting independently. So all that's going on in the meantime, like there's incoming fire coming into the FBI from lawmakers, 
uh, including Minority Leader Harry Reid, who sent a letter to Comey, and I'm just going to read part of it here. Your actions in recent months have demonstrated a disturbing double standard for the treatment of sensitive information with what appears to be a clear intent to aid one political party over another. I'm writing to inform you that my office has determined that these actions may violate the Hatch Act, which bars FBI officials from using their official authority to influence an election. Through your partisan actions, you may have broken the law. Uh, Carrie, how are other people reacting to this this claim from Harry Reid? And what exactly is the Hatch Act? Let's start there. The Hatch Act is a federal law designed to make sure that federal employees and officials don't put their thumb on the scale and use their job to get somebody elected to high office. That's totally unacceptable. We've had a few episodes of cabinet secretaries and others engaging in some bad behavior along those lines in the recent past. However, of dozens and dozens of former Justice Department officials who have signed a letter criticizing James Comey for sending this letter to Congress so close to an election. Uh, Very few of them, if any, are impugning his motives as saying he was motivated by partisanship or a desire to elect Donald Trump. And in fact, today the White House said the president has confidence in Comey's integrity and uh, they do not believe he was trying to influence the election at all. Uh, Carrie, one more question about this Reid letter. He also suggested that Comey has, as, as Reid wrote, explosive information about close ties and coordination between Donald Trump, his top advisors, and the Russian government. Is there any proof whatsoever of this claim? Uh, I have heard or seen nothing from inside the FBI or the Justice Department that such explosive evidence exists or is public in any way. And there are, of course, lots of reasons why you wouldn't want to do that before an election or any other time before you decide whether to bring sanctions against a foreign government, indict officials, or take some other covert super secret action against these countries, like maybe um, hacking into the email accounts of its leaders. Domenico, we should say that Harry Reid has a bit of a history himself of of making explosive charges that that aren't really (laughs) grounded in facts. Well, you know, Harry Reid's the old boxer uh, from Searchlight, Nevada, and uh, he doesn't mind uh, bare knuckles sometimes, or maybe brass knuckles, it's called. I don't know. Because he went to the floor of the Senate in 2012, you might remember, and said that he knows that Mitt Romney, the reason he wasn't too keen on releasing his tax returns was because he had paid no taxes. He said, I know 10 years, 10 years he's paid no taxes. There was no evidence to that. Mitt Romney did release his tax returns and it was completely false. (laughs) But Harry Reid, in an effort to pressure uh, Mitt Romney into releasing his tax returns, did that. And he tried similar tactics from the Senate floor with Donald Trump to no avail. Uh, He was four years early on the no taxes claim, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie, Every time you're on the podcast, that means breaking news is happening, which means you have 75 more phone calls to make. So I know you've got a jet now. Thank you very much for coming in and, and, and catching us up to speed. Okay, see ya. Thank Bye. You, Carrie. Bye, Carrie. Carrie, like ditching us in the middle of the podcast is a thing that like listeners have started to re- write in about <laughs> the fact that she's oh, always really? like, all right, out of here. Well, she's got to go to actually, it's true. actually do work yeah. rather than yeah. jabber like us. So hey, man. on the on the on the jabbering front, um, <laughs> so we talked about what we know about the FBI investigation. We talked about what we don't know. We talked about the partisan reaction. I guess the one thing that I'm still struck with is there's this longstanding DOJ policy, Justice Department policy, not to to throw bombs that could affect the outcome of an election. And now we have a week to go before the election, and it's filled with with kind of new details dribbling out here, dribbling out there. They've said that they're going to try and do this as quickly as possible, which means we could get another update. I mean, Domenico, do we have any sense yet how this has affected 
uh, the voters, how this has affected the polls. Well, I know there's a lot of people biting their fingernails, uh, wondering what's going to happen in the election. How would this affect things? Usually my rule is that you should wait about a week, week and a half or so before these things kind of settle in. Well, do the math. Because there's a big poll in a there week. There will be a big half. poll on Tuesday. <laughs> and, so. and that's one that we trust. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, my instinct on this, Oh, first of all, I should say there's been a couple of polls uh, that have come out. But again, I think that you need to let things settle. You don't know the direction things are headed. Those have shown little evidence that there's a very starkly changed field. We've seen some tightening overall in the past week or so. But what is that attributed to? You know, is that the emails? Is that also compiling on the fact that the Obamacare news had come out and was a negative story for the administration uh, and thereby for Hillary Clinton? Is it a product of natural tightening, which usually happens before an election as the undecided number tends to shrink and people who uh, might have been moving or leaning toward or thinking about Hillary Clinton, but are really Republicans decided that they're going to come home. My instinct is that maybe it stops the red map expansion of Hillary Clinton. And I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia and Arizona go back to where they had been and and maybe Hillary Clinton loses those and Donald Trump wins them narrowly. Uh, But that's speculative. I think, yeah, I think what's really important here is to note that the effects of this may not even be seen in the polls. What I mean by that is that, first of all, you have a lot of people who have voted already. So, yeah. I mean, that... About you, 22 million as of today. Yeah, yep. so that that's baked in. But aside from that, what I mean by it not showing up in the polls is that this may affect turnout as opposed to just, like, who so-and-so votes for. Because, let's face it, a lot of people, like... We know it feels like we know about everything there is to know about these two because we've been hearing about them for a year and a half. However, it's easy to see how people already disgusted with either candidate might throw up their hands and say, you know what? I don't like either of them. I'm sick of hearing about this. They may skip the presidential vote at the top of the ticket. Maybe they don't even go to the polls. Who knows? The point being that there are other wrenches this could have thrown into the works. Mm -hmm. One thing has changed, though, over the last few days, and I think it's interesting and worth talking about. And that's the way that Hillary Clinton and the Clinton campaign are responding to this. You know, this email story, what is it, a year and a half old? Yeah, March 2015 is when Hillary Clinton had her uh, press conference first defending the emails. And for a long time, the campaign wanted to talk about anything but that. It's not Mm -hmm. something they were aggressive about. It's not something they were on the attack about. They basically tried and hoped it would go away. And a lot of the WikiLeaks stuff that has come out in the last few weeks has kind of proven a lot of evidence about that. Uh, But... They have been so aggressive in pushing back on this. Hillary Clinton, too. And uh, let's hear a bit of what she had to say this afternoon in Ohio. I'm sure a lot of you may be asking what this new email story is about and why in the world the FBI would decide to jump into an election with no evidence of any wrongdoing with just days to go. That's a good question. And first of all, for those of you who are concerned about my using personal email, I understand. And as I've said, I'm not making excuses. I've said it was a mistake and I regret it. And now they apparently want to look at emails of one of my staffers. And by all means, uh, they should look at them. And I am sure they will reach the same conclusion they did when they looked at my emails for the last year. There is no case here. There is no case. And before she was saying, listen, FBI, tell us more information that you have. Put your cards on the table. Much more aggressive. In part, I think what might be happening here is just the timing, right? I mean, the FBI investigation, we may not hear 
a lot more of this by Election Day, so perhaps that has inspired her to be more proactive. Aside from that, there's no time to tread water and hope this dies down. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there are, what, right now, eight days until Election Day. And I, I imagine in the Clinton camp that they are really ready to be on the attack. As the editor here, I'll say everyone needs a deadline. <laughs> and it's absolutely true with Congress. Uh, we've seen that the only time anything gets done is when they're up against some kind of wall or deadline. And Hillary Clinton is act- absolutely up against, uh, you know, the most important deadline of her life when it comes to the election in just eight days. I mean, that's obviously one big reason for it. But I do think that there has been something that she has learned from the sort of uh, long hope that the email controversy would just go away. They know at this point, she knows at this point that it's not just going away, that you're going to have to address it and you're better off addressing it and moving it aside. But I think one thing that you can probably argue no matter how they respond does hurt Hillary Clinton right now is that one reason why she had such a great October is that most of October was bad news about Donald Trump that dominated day after day of the news. You know, the debate performances that he had, all of the revelations that came out, his reactions to them, that dominated. Now we have had three or four straight days where all the news was about, you know, news stories that had FBI and warrant and investigate and Clinton and defend Mm -hmm. words that are not good words if you're a candidate. Bad news about Trump not only dominated October news, it dominated Hillary Clinton's ads. I mean, there are so many of her ads that are, you know, children watching Donald Trump speak that are young women hearing Donald Trump talk about, you know, what body image and things that he has said about women in the past. So uh, that gave them a lot of fodder. And so now she has to really sort of fight back against allegations against her. And Donald Trump has, of course, seized on this. He's basically starting every rally now talking about this uh, this investigation or a renewed focus on, on these emails. But, you know, I've been out on the campaign trail with Donald Trump a lot. And He had never stopped talking about Hillary Clinton's emails. He had never stopped insisting that she had, in fact, broken the law. In fact, the idea that that she was only not charged because she's so powerful was like a central theme of his campaign. Uh, Here he was on Fox News Friday morning. This is just a few hours before the news broke. The system is rigged when she's allowed to run because she has done many criminal acts She's not allowed to run. She is not allowed to be running in this election. And the FBI rolled over. And the Department of Justice rolled over. I mean, these were 10-minute chunks of his speeches, followed by the big lock-her-up chants. So that's Friday morning. Here he is a few hours later. He took the stage in Manchester, New Hampshire, maybe 20, 30 minutes after this news came out. I have great respect for the fact that the FBI and the Department of Justice are now willing to have the courage to right the horrible mistake that they made. Donald Trump standing up for those uh, federal government bureaucrats. Look, an amazing thing happens when, you know, the thing you believe to be true gets a little ember of, you know, crackling hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's at these rallies where they're saying, lock her up, lock her up. And he's saying things are rigged. But where's the evidence, right? Like, where's the evidence for any of that when the FBI director had come out and said, you know, there wasn't enough to prosecute, uh, that they were careless with information, but, you know, not enough. Now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 
the FBI director sends a letter to Congress, you could see the pep in Trump's step and uh, how excited he was to be able to talk about this because he felt like it gave him an exhibit A in a case he's trying to prosecute. Right. Well, and this is not a surprise that Donald Trump has suddenly flip-flopped on something, right? I mean, on many issues, he has flip-flopped, you know, sometimes several times in this campaign. You know, the fact that he's suddenly in a different place than he was a couple of days ago, I mean, that that is actually pretty unremarkable when you think about it. Yeah. We all like the teacher when he gives us a good grade. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We've talked a lot about emails. I have a suspicion we're going to keep talking a lot about emails. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about some non-email political news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wonder Capital, asking, what if you could help combat global climate change and make money at the same time? Introducing Wonder Capital the award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest in solar energy projects. You can earn up to 8.5% annually while diversifying your portfolio. Best of all, Wonder Capital doesn't take any fees for investing your money. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com NPR. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good. Okay, we're back. So let's talk about Donald Trump. Domenico, you've been looking at his travel schedule. Despite the latest email news, he's really still searching for a way to get 270 electoral votes. Well, I mean, look, this is the whole thing. I mean, he we've been talking about in this podcast for months the narrowness of Donald Trump's path. He not only has to compete in the toss-up states, he has to win all of the toss-up states. And I keep saying it, but even if Donald Trump were to win Florida, where there was a couple polls that showed him doing better, even if he were to win Ohio, where he's perhaps favored or doing better, Iowa, North Carolina, Nevada, all of those states, he then has to pick off a state that's leaning Democratic. So you look around, you look at the kinds of places that he could potentially take. Pennsylvania, Hillary Clinton's lead has only expanded there. New Hampshire, same thing. Colorado, you've seen some narrowing. And on top of that, we're seeing the actual results of which uh, people have returned their ballots. And there's a big lead for Democrats compared to Republicans. Yeah. And for the first time in Colorado, Democrats outnumber Republicans ever. First time ever. So Democrats feel pretty good about their chances there. They feel good about those Denver suburbs. Just look at the body language of the campaigns. I always say, forget the polls, look at the body language. And today you've got Donald Trump in Michigan. Uh, on Tuesday, he's going to be in Pennsylvania and in Wisconsin. He's, of course, going to Florida, which you would expect. And Thursday, he's going to North Carolina. His vice president, Mike Pence, was in New Mexico. Almost nobody gives Republicans a chance this year in New Mexico. They are searching around for something, something to hang their hat on, a place where the numbers could move last minute because they know that they've got they need one more to get over the top. I just want to interject here. I mean, Domenico is absolutely right that the path is narrow for Donald Trump. And this is one more reason to maybe not get a little too hyper about national level polls, right? Because, you know, even if that tightens up a bit, the question is all about electoral votes, not about whether the polls are 47-53 or 48-52. And how much of a Donald Trump goes to Michigan and Wisconsin decision or a Hillary Clinton goes to Arizona decision, how much about that is moving voters in those states versus getting people like us to say, oh, wow, they're going to a state that uh, the other guy should really be winning? Yeah, I mean, it's circular. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could see it. Uh, it's an advantage to the Clinton campaign because if they're going to be going and campaigning in places that are traditionally red, then you're going to see Trump need to invest more resources or pull him uh, in a different direction. It, had it not been for the FBI emails, the fact that Clinton was going to Arizona would have dominated the idea of just how big Clinton's win could be 
be as opposed to, you know, talking about whether or not the lead is tightening. Yeah. Right. And it's not just about that. It's also about timing to a certain degree. I mean, states that have early voting, uh, the candidates have been hitting those up a lot. And as, you know, a state without early voting like Pennsylvania, as Election Day approaches, uh, there is naturally a need to spend more time there and maybe, you know, inch out of Colorado a little bit or something like that. Well, speaking of Colorado, speaking of Colorado, another Colorado. Th- Colorado. Yeah, can't say Rado. We went through this in the po- previous podcast. Nevada. The Western A. Uh, Western A. Uh. Okay, I get Sorry. Nevada right all well, the time. Colorado. Colorado. Mm. Thank you for state explaining. <laughs> um, Happy to. It's my job. Speaking of Colorado. <laughs> God. Speaking of the state that's home to Denver. Um, Donald Trump was there in Greeley and said something interesting. Let's take a listen. Who has sent their ballots in? Now, do you think those ballots are properly counted? Do you so think? Trump went on for a while, and then he told people to go ahead and file multiple ballots. Uh, you can get a ballot if you need it tomorrow, slows today, but you can get a ballot tomorrow at University Center and you can put your ballot in. But so important, we are on the threshold of something so incredible. It's so incredible, so exciting. But you gotta get those ballots. So you can go to University Center and they'll give you a ballot, a new ballot. They'll void your old ballot, they'll give you a new ballot. And you can go out and make sure it gets in. Now, in some places, they probably do that four or five times, but we don't do that. But uh, that's great. So, But he's kind of telling them to do that. Not really. I mean, he's, he's sort of trying to say that the system is rigged and that other people do it four or five times. We should say there was a Trump supporter who was arrested over the weekend in, in Iowa, Iowa mm-hmm. for voting twice for Trump. And she said that she was doing that because she knew that her vote was going to be flipped to the Democrats. So she decided that she was going to try to vote a second time. Danielle, you have written a lot about the idea of voter fraud and how it is more of an idea than a reality. Right. Well, and I mean, like, and Donald Trump is spinning a narrative here and it is not necessarily dealing in the reality of how likely a systemic rigging of an election is. Does voter fraud happen? Are there individual cases of it? Yes. For example, we saw this in in Iowa with this woman who voted twice. But as far as systemic efforts, that that would be phenomenally hard to pull off. So Donald Trump, even though his campaign feels he's surging, kind of casting some doubt on the system there in a state where he's trailing in the polls. I did say we weren't going to talk about emails again, and I'm afraid that I lied. (laughs) I'm sorry, fact check, untrue, because there's a quick WikiLeaks update, and I guess that counts as an email too. I didn't know if we were talking about our uh, mailbag, like questions from listeners. Oh, I guess that too. You know what? Just all sorts of false private server here. in Danielle's basement that we keep the emails. Kurtzlebenmail.com. Sorry. <laughs> Nobody gets it right. <laughs> Only three three people have ever said anything to me. <laughs> Two of them are Nigerian princes. Shortlife.co. <laughs> okay, keep going. So WikiLeaks. Um, as the WikiLeaks leaks continue, um, uh, some more minor fallout. Today, CNN severed ties with Donna Brazil. She's been a political analyst on that network for years. Of course, right now, she's the interim chair of the Democratic National Committee. This is after hacked emails from Clinton's campaign manager, John Podesta, turned up an email Brazil had sent to Podesta with this subject line. One of the questions directed to HRC tomorrow is from a woman with a rash. Then Brazil wrote, her family has lead poison and she'll ask what, if anything, will Hillary do as president to help the people of Flint? 
This was before a primary debate against Bernie Sanders. And a couple weeks ago, we had another WikiLeaks email where Donna Brazil tipped the Clinton campaign off to an upcoming question in a town hall. Well, let's say DNC chairs have had bad luck in this campaign. Yeah. You know, you remember Debbie Wasserman Schultz mm-hmm. stepped down uh, because of other WikiLeaks revelations uh, that she was apparently against Bernie Sanders. I mean, we should say here that Donna Brazile has been on leave from CNN since becoming the interim chair of the DNC. We should also say that CNN denies that it passed the this question information on to her. And, and all of this, uh, you know, Trump's campaign has has held out hope that they can kind of depressed turnout for Hillary Clinton among the Bernie Sanders crowd, like among super liberal progressive voters who who backed Bernie Sanders and have been disenfranchised with Hillary Clinton. Here's another example of someone at the DNC kind of hooking Hillary Clinton up with something. Sure. All right. And we are going to end the show with some happy, fun emails. Is that good for you guys? That sounds great. Let's do it. All right. (laughs) Shout out to those of you who have been emailing us your politically themed Halloween costumes. Audrey in Oakland, she went as the California Voter's Guide, all 223 pages of it. The Strivens Murin family in Connecticut dressed their twins as Trump and Clinton at little podiums, which they hung on their baby Bjorns. So the parents were like... I don't know what a baby Bjorn is. It's, it's like the, a it's, it's, wrap the baby it, to your body. Yeah, it's the first know? thing I thought. Was like, it's a podium Bjorn. Like it, you put the baby in there, you you yeah. know strap it on, you bring it, you know you can All walk right. around with it. You get your two hands free yeah. to go. I'm not even a parent. Dad explaining Dominico with the dad jokes and dad knowledge. You in know the podcast. what? You say what you want now. No, I'm, and I'm we'll impressed talk. with that knowledge. <laughs> wait, wait. wait <laughs> I, so anyway, I, it was. A, I saw a picture of it, even though I don't know what a Bjorn is, and it was a cute costume. <laughs> and we have also seen evidence of people dressed as members of the. NPR Politics podcast out and about in America on Halloween. Which is, that's that's great, I think. (laughs) Keep those coming. Uh, Write us or send us photos to nprpolitics at npr.org. You can also tweet them at us. And thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Halloween Spooktacular. (laughs) We'll be back in your feed tomorrow with a new episode. I refuse to be your backup dancer, Detroit. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Let me get through this. Be back in your feed with a new episode tomorrow. We're trying to get these up around 6.30 Eastern every night. Of course, you could follow more of our political coverage on your local public radio station or on the NPR One app. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben, political reporter. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. What is this? Keep it together, Dad. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Any questions? What is that? It's from SNL. It's David S. Perkins. <laughs> <laughs>